welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On The Wing Podcast. Coming at you from, well, we're all coming at you from a semi-quarantine world, but what else is new, right? It's what we've all enjoyed, sort of, the last few few months. But at least for everybody out there, it is hunting season pretty much I think everywhere across the country now, bird seasons are open. Pheasants, quail, grouse, whatever you like to follow your bird dog and chase with feathers, you can do that this time of year. And in a way, that's going to be the featured topic of today's conversation. But I'm not going to tell you about the topic of today's conversation. I'm going to let... My my co-host Marissa Jensen back with us for this episode of On the Wing podcast. Uh, Marissa um, shot me an email here recently with the idea for this concept. So Marissa, it's great to see you again. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Bob? <laughs> I'm I'm goofy as always. But I'm doing well. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, and and you know, constantly daydreaming about Saturday when I can get back into the field with my, my short hair girls chasing my favorite uh, pheasants and quail and, and, and birds. And, and I've got plans on the horizon this weekend. Excellent. But um, tell us about your idea for this particular uh, podcast, because it's in, I think, I think it's one of those, we've all watched those movie premieres where, I laughed. I cried. It was a triumph of the human spirit, right? You remember those? Right, right. Just the plethora of emotions, right? Yeah. And (laughs) and when when you sent me the email with this concept, that I instantly thought, oh yeah, there is there is gold in those hills. So tell us about your idea here. Yeah. So and I can't even take credit for all of that. You know, it was. something that I came across on social media. Um, We'll introduce our guest here in just a little bit, but then it was, um, you know, continued the conversation um, amongst some different staff members, um, just talking about how exciting it is to see um, some of the efforts that are happening on a personal level with individuals within and outside of the organization. Um, So today we are going to be chatting with Emily Spoliar, and she is Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's own um, precision ag and conservation specialist based out of North Dakota. Um, so, you know, what we want to talk about today is, you know, recruit, retain, and reactivate, right? Like R3, that's a word we use all the time. Um, but what does it look like and what does it mean on a very personal level? Um, so Emily is here with us today to chat about 10 first harvests. So Emily, um, We'd love to hear from you if you want to kind of introduce yourself, talk a little bit about maybe where you're from, um, your job a little bit, what you do with PF and QF, and then we'll kind of roll from there. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on today. I'm excited and admittedly a little bit nervous um, to talk about this, but uh, yeah, I'm a precision ag and conservation specialist based out of Dickinson, North Dakota. So that's in the southwest area of the state, um, right in the heart of pheasant country. Uh, so I'm originally from southern Michigan, uh, moved out here just over two years ago for this job. 
Um, on the bottom I, of the mitten, uh, right? <laughs> yes, the bottom, <laughs> the bottom of the mitten, very bottom. Um, hey, and one trivia nugget about Emily, this is not your first appearance on On The Wing Podcast. Because didn't you, weren't you on, like, I think it was episode number, like, four or five when I went up to North Dakota and it was like your third day on the job, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is accurate. I was uh, kind of baptized by fire, just thrown right into it. But um, no, as far as my day-to-day uh, -day job and uh, kind of responsibilities are, um, I get to work alongside our partners to help put habitat in the ground in places that makes the most sense for farming operations. So I work with farmers to figure out um, what acres they're not necessarily turning a profit on and how we can kind of repurpose those acres to make them work better for their farming operations. Uh, so this means simultaneously I'm getting to help farmers and uh, hunters and birds and just, you know, the environment as a whole. Um, so I, I love what I get to do. I am excited about it pretty much every day. Um, it's, for me, it's very hard. Um, the lines get very blurred between personal life and professional because I am just very passionate about what I get to do. Um, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool and I appreciate being a part of this organization. I think I, I saw somewhat recently um, how you were able to, you know, harvest a bird on on some habitat that you um, specifically worked on, and just kind of seeing that full circle. I mean, your passion just comes through so incredibly through um, your work, your lifestyle, and, and everything. So um, we're so excited to talk with you today. And you're a, if I remember correctly. Um, relatively new into the hunting world, correct? Um, and are you an adult onset hunter as well? Well, so I've actually been hunting for about 10 years now. Um, so I started hunting when I was in high school. Uh, took hunter safety when I was 14, um, did a little bit of deer hunting, but it wasn't until high school that I really got into hunting more and more specifically upland hunting. Um, it's kind of a funny story that I've told to lots of people because I think that it really embodies the topic of the discussion today. Uh, I had a substitute teacher in high school when I was 15 years old in my ag class, actually. Um, his name's Len Jenkins and uh, he was a retired school teacher and also ran a hunting preserve and raised English setters. And I met him when he was substitute teaching for me and uh, just got to talking to him about hunting and bird dogs. And he had a litter of setter puppies at the time that he encouraged me to come just take a look at. And um, of course, when I told my mom that I just wanted to go look at these puppies, <laughs> she called my bluff immediately and said there's no such thing as just going to look at puppies. Um, and then while I was out there, Len just talked to me about how He's very passionate about helping people get into hunting, especially women. And so he said, you know, if you come back on the weekends and let me help you train this dog, then then you can just have him for free. Mm. Um, and I had only, you know, this was the second time in my life that I'd been around this man. He didn't know anything about me. I hardly knew anything about him. 
but he was so passionate about being able to give back and being able to help people get into the outdoors and do what he's spent his whole life doing, uh, that he was willing to, to just give me a setter puppy and help me get started. Not just a one day event, but a year, years long commitment to helping me really get into the outdoors. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have this job. I wouldn't work for Pheasants Forever. It's just because one person decided that they were going to help me and go above and beyond. Um, so I think that's really kind of how I got started. Um, just being interested in mentoring people because I realized that I wouldn't have what I do if it wasn't for one of my first mentors. Wow. That's that's incredible. I mean, just to to devote that much time and energy and excitement with somebody. And it's amazing how that one introduction with that gentleman or going out there one time to meet those puppies kind of can change the trajectory of um, where your life, you know, where you thought it might have gone. So, um, you know, it, it's a great kind of transition into, you know, like you mentioned what we're talking about today. And, you know, I think I noticed um, back in August you had posted an Instagram um, message with the title in search of a new hunter. Um, and you just really reached out to offer your help and your support for individuals, whether it was um, somebody that's never hunted before or somebody who maybe had an upland bird hunted or deer hunted or just wanted to try something new or a new area. Um, what, what kind of prompted you to send out that message and to really reach out as a mentor? Well, a, a few different things. Um, number one, just seeing, knowing that there, there is a huge need for that and knowing that I'm in a position right now in my life where I have the time and resources to be able to really jump into that wholeheartedly and commit a ton of time to it. You know, I live in southwestern North Dakota. There's hundreds of thousands of acres of public land access here. You know, I've got two bird dogs that are usually pretty decent. I can find them, scratch out a couple of birds. Um, and I've got the time. Uh, and, you know, with the flexibility that my job allows for in, in the kind of intertwined passion and, and work, um, I have no excuse not to do this. I have absolutely zero excuse not, not to do this. Um, you know, I can understand how it can be a challenge for other people in other areas of the country that maybe don't have as much public land that's accessible, but um, I've got the time and the resources. And so, yeah, I, I would feel selfish if I didn't. What kind of response did you get from that message? Did you have a lot of people reaching out saying, yeah, like, please take me? <laughs> yeah, so this was the second year in a row that I've made that post. And it was something, when I did it for the first time last year, I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so nervous to, to actually post that because I did not feel qualified. I did not feel like, I had very much to offer other people. Um, you know, I've been out here in, in North Dakota for this is my third hunting season out here. Uh, my first hunting season, it took me a few weeks of hunting to realize that I wasn't seeing hen pheasants flush in front of me. It was sharp-tailed grouse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, 
I am still relatively new to all of this and, and trying to get it figured out. I just didn't have growing up in Southern Michigan. I didn't have a lot of opportunities to hunt wild birds back home. Um, but I finally have felt like in the last couple seasons, I can try it, see how it goes. And if I crash and burn, uh, you know, oh, well, but um, yeah, so I got a pretty overwhelming response uh, both years that I've posted that um, everyone, everyone from people who are just looking to come out and hunt in Southwest North Dakota <laughs> and shoot a bunch <laughs> of pheasants um, to people who are uh, vegetarians and, and want to try and see what hunting's about because they're concerned with um, making sure that they're eating food that's, that was harvested in a sustainable way. Um, so a huge range of people. And I think one of the challenges for me was just figuring out how each of those people would fit into my schedule, because it wasn't just people from North Dakota. It was people from Michigan, people from Nebraska and people from, you know, all over, because it wasn't just my friends who saw the post that post got shared. And so then it was people who, who reached out from all over who just were looking for someone that they felt comfortable with going out and, and hunting with. And one of my favorite responses that I got from that post was uh, from two of my, my friends, Kevin Jackson and Tyler Slayton. They both commented and they're not new hunters, um, but they wanted to connect and get in the field. And, you know, at the time that was a decision that I had made was that I didn't really like the way I was using social media previously, or I didn't like what I was getting from it, I guess, um, because I wasn't getting meaningful connections with people. You know, it was just very passive interactions online. And I wanted to connect with people because that's supposed to be the whole point of social media. Um, so I connected with them last season in Montana. Tyler is big into falconry and Kevin is a phenomenal dog handler. They're two of the best people that, that you could ever hope to hunt with. And I had not really interact with, interacted with them much prior to that, but I ended up driving west to here about six hours to meet up and hunt with them. And by the end of the weekend, you know, I had two new friends. I had been introduced to falconry and Kevin Jackson gave me a, a setter puppy. <laughs> that that never would have happened if I hadn't made that post and and just um you know decided to be a little bit more vulnerable and put myself out there and say I'm willing to hunt with people if you want to get out into the field you know let's go oh that's incredible and and Tyler I think he was uh featured in our our most recent quail forever magazine that I think just hit in the mailboxes but um, I would love to see that in person, the falconry. I mean, it just looks remarkable. Um, and I think that you might be, I don't want to um, be a spoiler. I think you might be talking about another individual who's just recently started with falconry um, in your, your 10 first harvest. So um, let's, let's dive into that a little bit, because I know Bob and I are just as excited as probably our listeners to, to start this conversation. Um, you know, um, talk to us a little bit about you know, each individual and you don't necessarily have to share names, but just kind of the different experiences, um, you know, whether they were new hunters, new places, and just some of the, you know, stories that transcribed through that. Yeah. So 
you know, it's each scenario has been very unique and each person has had different needs in where they're at with their experience in getting involved in this lifestyle. Um, one of the barriers, I guess, that I've kind of just decided to reframe in my head was thinking that mentoring a hunter had to look a certain way. Um, today, I, I don't think about it as I don't think of being a mentor as being the person who takes a 12 year old kid out into the field for the first time after they've taken hunter safety. You know, it can. Today, I look at it more as, um, you know, sharing detailed advice online, not just. Yeah, pick up a plots guide, download the public land layer on Onyx. Good luck. Get a new right. pair of boots because you're going to wear yours out. You know, I sitting down and really taking a few minutes to type out a very detailed thorough response that answers their questions and then goes above and beyond. You know, if they're asking, where can I find Sharptail? Not just giving them a cookie cutter answer, but saying, sending them pictures of habitat, sending them videos of, of places where I've found Sharptail. Um, just getting very specific and detailed and making sure that I'm giving advice that I would like to receive if I was asking those questions. Um, Absolutely. And they yeah, so just, you know, then. oh, 100%. Yes. I, that has made me so much more um, analytical when it comes to understanding why, instead of just pulling up to a field and saying, yeah, that looks like that could have birds in it, asking myself, why does that look like that could have birds in it? And, um, you know, how can you explain that to someone else? And uh, yeah, it just causes you to really think about what you're doing and, and the reason that you're doing it um, because you have to be able to explain that to people. Um, but beyond just that, you know, beyond just giving advice online and helping people uh, get out into the field for the first time, you know, also just giving tips for how to cook wild game and, and butchering. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I've realized it's not as complex or formal as I previously thought about it being, it's really just about being a good friend and helping that person kind of build their community in the outdoors world. Um, I think that's something that when you come from a family that hunts, you don't understand what it's like to not have that. And my family is not into hunting and as much as I've tried to get them into it, I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, but I, so I know what it's like to, to not have that sense of community. Um, but then you hear so many people talk about that's the reason why they hunt is because of the connections that they make with other people. So you're really just helping provide that sense of belonging and community and support to these people who are looking to get into it. As you were talking about driving up and looking at a piece of habitat, and asking yourself, you know, having more analytical mind about asking yourself, you know, why are there sharp tails here? And, and that really resonated with me because it's one of the things that when I've taken different people, and it could be new hunters or it could just be different hunters, it particularly into something that they haven't experienced before. So somebody from the upper peninsula of Michigan going pheasant hunting for the first time, or conversely, somebody from the pheasant range that I take into the North woods. And they ask me questions that I've never thought about, right? They have a different set of experiences, a different 
they have a different brain than I do, right? And when they ask questions and I have to figure out the answers, it has made me a better hunter. So, and that's one of the things that I don't, when you're talking about it, it resonated so much with me. It's like, we don't talk about that in mentoring enough. The fact that when you mentor somebody, you like, you, you escalate your own knowledge of hunting exponentially because somebody is asking you questions that you've taken for granted. And I, I could see you shaking your head in affirmation. So you felt that before too, Emily? Oh, 100%. Yep. There, there was a Project Upland article that came out recently that talked about, um, I think the, the main focus was hot spotting and people mm -hmm. being worried about sharing too much information online. And in the article, uh, it says, if you're not willing to share the information and knowledge that you've acquired, you're admitting that you don't have the capacity to become a better master of your craft. Hmm. And that really resonated with me because like you said, it, it has made me a better hunter. You know, it has made me understand more and, and ask more questions because of the interactions with other people. It makes me, is it a Star Wars reference? I'm going to, I'm going to show some <laughs> where it's like the teacher and the, um, the mentee, you know, it's the Yoda. Am I wrong? Am I... <laughs> I'm struggling here to get it out. But like that's the, as you guys are talking, I see Yoda over here. <laughs> oh, young grasshopper! When the student becomes the teacher, um, that's definitely I, not Star I was Wars. Well, kid. I was thinking it was Karate Kid, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, it might even be Bruce Lee. But, but. I think you're the only one that put Yoda into it, Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. It was a great visual thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, hey, it'll be a highlight of this episode, no doubt. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, no, I think that that's an incredible um, perspective. And, you know, one thing that I've talked about before with mentoring too is um, the opportunity to live in that first hunt over and over and over when you're mentoring somebody, right? Like you get to be part of that experience when somebody looks back and says, that was my first bird or that was my first hunt or whatever it is. Like you're part of that memory. You made that happen for them in one way or another. And that's just such a cool feeling um, to accomplish. And, you know, you made the comment about um, a little bit earlier about being concerned that you were qualified for it. And we've talked a little bit about that, you know, off air too. And it's a conversation that comes up a lot with R3 and mentoring, um, how individuals are concerned that they're not qualified enough to go out there and mentor. That's a barrier for them. Um, when in all likelihood, they're probably overqualified for it. Um, and sometimes I'll just all it takes is somebody asking you to, you know, go along for a walk with them or um, spend some time with them in the field to learn those things. And that's all they need to get started. So, um, you know, I think it's great to have that conversation and talk a little bit about that vulnerability um, so that others know that they're not alone. That's a very common thought. Um, and to not let that discourage them from introducing somebody new. Yeah, I that was definitely the biggest. There were a couple things that made me nervous about mentoring hunters. And um, again, it was, you know, not feeling like I had enough knowledge and 
the fact that I've never really been very good with kids. And (laughs) (laughs) I always thought that, you know, when you're mentoring a hunter, it's going to be with a a younger kid. And that was just not something that I felt like I could, I didn't feel like I could give them the right experience. Um, And so, yeah, it always made me nervous. But now that I've kind of just reframed the way I've looked at it, um, it's opened a lot more doors and it does make so many hunts just that much more special um, being able to share in that first experience with someone. And uh, you know, one of the, one of the hunts I did this year um, was with my friend, Adam. Uh, so he's taking a trip around the country this season. That's focused on upland hunting. Um, it's the trip is based off of the book, a hunter's road by um, Jim Fergus. And I had followed his journey through Instagram and I saw that he had been struggling to find Hungarian partridge. Um, So I reached out to him and just gave him all the information that I knew, pictures, videos, probably totally overwhelmed him with too much information. Um, And a couple of weeks later, he ended up coming to North Dakota to hunt with me. And, uh, you know, I had just met him the night before we went out hunting. And then that morning I helped him harvest his first hunt. Um, so in that time span, we went from being strangers on the internet to two people standing in a field together in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota with a single bird that can, you know, fit in the, the palm of your hand. Um, and we were, had tears in our eyes and Adam just couldn't stop smiling and just, uh, I mean, he was just floored. And this is someone who had, He's been traveling around the country, upland hunting all over, but he had never shot a Hungarian partridge before. And so, you know, it meant that much to him to be able to come out and and do that with me here in North Dakota. And I don't know of anything else, at least there's nothing else that I do that can invoke that type of emotion so quickly. And to go from strangers to people who now share this lifelong memory together, um, I, I just don't know of anything else that can provide that, mm-hmm. at least nothing that I've experienced. Yeah, that's remarkable. And it's, I think every every new species, every new opportunity, I mean, it's just, it kind of all comes back and um, those first are, are always special. Now, um, when you, so these 10 introductions have been over the course of 2020, correct? Yep. Yep. So it's been all this season, uh, whether it's been, you know, very first bird harvested or new species. Um, I help someone harvest their first deer. Uh, it's been a, a wide range of different experiences, um, but all of them, every single experience I've had with helping someone has been phenomenal and has been more than I could have ever thought it would turn into. Um one of the, the best examples uh, was with Hannah Hayes. Um, I had had Hannah on social media for maybe a year, and um, she's relatively new to upland hunting, had done some quail hunting. Um, she's got a bird dog. His name's Cooper, um, and just didn't necessarily have uh, a ton of confidence in in her abilities, um, which I really struggled to to see that because she was so far away and I wanted to, you know, just be able to go out there with her and, and help build that confidence. And so 
I reached out to her a few times and said, if you ever want to come up here and hunt, come up anytime. I would love to take you out so Cooper can bust birds all day. You know, I, it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, let's just get him on wild birds and, and help him figure out what his job is with no pressure. And so she finally decided to come up here and hunt. We did a hunt together in Montana. Uh, it was her and her boyfriend, Ben and, and Cooper. And uh, we all went out hunting sage grouse, sharp tail and Hungarian partridge. And so out of the four days that we spent hunting, they shot three new species. And um, really the best part of that trip, well, there were two highlights. The first one came when I had taken Hannah and Ben out hunting in the morning. And then I was like, okay, I, I think it's just as important for you to just go out on your own and just do it and just try it uh, as it is for me to be out there and, and be, you know, helping you figure it out. You just need to go out and do it. She's, she's a very intelligent individual. I had shown her what the habitat would look like that she was looking for. I mean, she knows what to do. She already knew what to do before I helped her. And it was just encouraging her to go out in the field with Cooper and do it. And she texted me maybe a couple hours later and told me that they had gotten their first sharp tail together. And I wasn't even in the field with her and I was still crying. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and she was very emotional and it was just the coolest thing to play a very small role in helping her feel good enough to just go out and do it. Um, and then the next day we went after, uh, sage grouse and she was able to harvest her and Ben were both able to harvest their first sage grouse. And it was, it was incredible. It was an incredible thing to be a part of. I mean, they're incredible birds anyway, but to be out there with people who, you know, appreciate them as much as, as much as I do. Um, I mean, it was just amazing to be a part of. And through that whole experience, I talked to her about my job and she asked a lot of questions about pheasants forever and quail forever. And at the end of the weekend, she was like, well, I guess I'm going to apply for a few jobs with, uh, <laughs> with pheasants forever. And now Hannah is my newest coworker here in <laughs> North Dakota. I mean, it, it literally just took taking her out hunting. You know, I take no credit for, she's a very qualified individual who is, is, so good at what she does and, and could do anything she puts her mind to. Um, but it was just caring enough to reach out and say, if you want help, I can help you. And then she came up here and, and just fell in love with the wildlife and, and, you know, the amount of public land and um, just being able to hear more information about who Pheasants Forever is and, and what we do. Um, and it inspired her enough to move up here from Texas. Hmm. And it's just cool that, you know, and it's similar to like my story with, with Len giving me a bird dog. Um, it's not an overstatement to say that you can change someone's life by just taking them out hunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's, I mean, you talk about passion, it, it comes through her as well. And, you know, we're so excited. She, I mean, really just started um, with the organization and moved to North Dakota. She's our um, new outreach coordinator for the state and we're so excited to have her and recently became a, a falconer too. Um, so I think she also knows Tyler Sladen and uh, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I'm 
not sure I'll ever go down that road, but watching those two with their birds is just, wow, it's magical and makes me just want to learn so much more about that. So yeah, it is pretty incredible. Yeah. When you, when you look back on all the different, um, you know, opportunities, I guess, could you give us a little bit of an example? Like, what did those look like chronologically? You know, the different individuals that you mentored, um, you know, just to kind of give us an overall big picture of you know, what the year looked like for you. Well, it's, it's been kind of a whirlwind. Um, I guess one of the, one of the most impactful stories started last year. And that was one of my first, what I would consider traditional mentorships. It was with a girl back home. Her name's Emma. Uh, she is 15 years old and she's my best friend's little sister. Um, her family doesn't hunt. It's a very similar story to my own, but she was interested. And, and after I made that post last year, she reached out to me and wanted to know if we could hunt sometime. Now I live in North Dakota. Um, so I wasn't entirely sure how I was going to make it work, but early in, well, I guess mid-October last year, some friends from Michigan wanted to come out here and pheasant hunt. And so I invited them to come or, you know, I, I hosted them out here to pheasant hunt. Well, they do a lot of waterfowl hunting back home in Michigan. And so when I went home for Christmas last year, um, it was kind of a, you know, they were returning the favor by setting up this, this waterfowl hunt for me to be able to take Emma because I'm not a waterfowl hunter. I, I don't know the first thing I couldn't, I couldn't call a duck if my life depended on it. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about it. So they took the time to set up this diver hunt where we were in layout boats. Um, it was a super cool hunt for someone's first time out waterfowl hunting. I mean, it was pretty incredible. And the day before we had watched hundreds of ducks dump into this spot where we were going to set up. So we thought this will be, you know, she will just be hooked for life. She's going to shoot limits of, of, you know, all these different types of ducks. And so I went and picked her up because she can't, can't drive yet. Went and picked her up. We drove down to where we were duck hunting, um, got in our layout boats and a Drake wood duck landed in the decoys. And I thought, well, I mean, I'm not out here saying water swatting ducks is the way to duck hunt, but for someone's first duck that's never duck hunted before, I didn't, I didn't care if she took them out of the decoys. So I was like, oh, Emma, you know, go ahead and, and take that duck if you want to. And that's when I realized she didn't really know how to load her gun. <laughs> and at this point I was in a layout boat that, you know, they're, they're anchored down. So you can't exactly paddle over to her to help her out. So I had to call the people on the shore to come out and help her because it wasn't, it wasn't her shotgun. You know, I don't know if you, people who come from hunting families, they don't always know what it's like to just be kind of thrown into a situation like that, where it's a borrowed gun on a hunt that you don't need, you know, you don't know the first thing about. Um, it's, uh, it can be pretty overwhelming. And then to have a, a shotgun that's not yours and have to figure out how to use it. It's just a lot of moving pieces. So anyway, they they helped her figure that out. And by the time the hunt was all said and done, 
she had shot one hen merganser. It was, <laughs> it was very hard not to think of it as just a total failure. Um, and it was a little heartbreaking, but she was so excited. Um, I mean, she was, she was just loving life. It was really cool to see. And I tried to not show that I was pretty disappointed that we had only shot one uh, less than ideal duck. But, uh, <laughs> you know, she just I tried to take some really good pictures for her, um, showed her how to clean it. Everything went through the whole deal. Um, and then this year I went home in um, August and took her out on a preserve hunt for pheasants. And she shot her first pheasant. She shot a couple. Uh, and again, she was just so excited. Well, when I was getting ready to come home for Thanksgiving, she texted me and said, hey, if you have time, I'd love to take you out duck hunting. And that was just the best thing she could have ever said to me because, um, you know, in, in less than a year, she's gone from not knowing how to work a semi-auto shotgun to she's got her own decoys. She's learning how to call. Um, she texted me just yesterday morning actually. And uh, she had just shot her first Drake Mallard and sent me a bunch of pictures and was really excited. And she said, you know, thank you for taking me out duck hunting. It's my favorite thing to do now. And told me all about how she's, she's, you know, decoying them herself and, and calling them herself. And, um, I, and again, I'm not a duck hunter. I didn't teach her anything when I took her out, <laughs> or at least I didn't feel like I did. Um, but I just gave her the opportunity and made sure to tell her that if this is something you want to do, you can do it on your own. You don't need a boy to call in your ducks for you. You don't need <laughs> anyone to hold your hand you know, you can just go out and do it. And she took it and ran with it. And um, yeah, it's just been an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, that's, that's a remarkable story. And, you know, to see them kind of take off on their own and continue that passion in their own direction. Um, and it, I mean, it's just like you said, sometimes you just have to ask. Um, that, that's literally all it takes. Um, and, you know, just be there for support and help them through it. And I think sometimes that that helps the mentor too, right? Like we can all be in our ruts and we can all get in our funks and life gets busy. And then you get messages like that and you're like, yeah, like, let's do this. Let's go back out and, and do more. And I was laughing though, when you when you were talking about being disappointed about the one duck, because that's a pretty successful day for waterfowling for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it, I had to think about the first time I ever went out hunting waterfowl, it was a field hunt for geese. And I was with two of my, my teachers at the time. Cause I would, I would go hunting with pretty much anyone who would take me. Um, I just wanted to learn as much as I could from as many different people as I could. Um, so went out goose hunting and we had three geese come in and I shot one of them. And, uh, you know, it, 
I was, if you would have told me after getting up at 4 a.m., <laughs> setting up all those decoys, lay, setting up my blind, getting that all brushed in, and I only shot the one goose. And if you would have told me right after I harvested that goose that that was as good as waterfowl hunting ever got, then I would have set my 4 a.m. alarm the next day and gone out again. Um, and I, I, that's something that I always have to remind myself when I'm taking out new hunters, especially people who are coming out here from areas that don't have a lot of wild birds. They enjoy just seeing birds and just being able to get their dogs on birds. And, um, you know, I've, I helped, uh, a handful of people harvest their first sage grouse this year. And, um, even just being able to see those birds is, an experience in itself and um, then being able to, to actually harvest one. Um, one of my friends that I took out was a rough grouse hunter from Michigan. And so the prairie landscape is very new to him, but uh, we had seen a handful and I love it when it works out this way, when you can see the birds before you actually take any shots at them. And uh, so we had seen a few groups and then he was finally able to to harvest one and it couldn't have worked out any better because he's a taxidermist. And so he appreciates every single feather, literally that is on a bird. I mean, he just, uh, you know, you can't find a person who appreciates birds more than why it does. And he shot the biggest sage grouse. I've, I've, I don't know that they get bigger than the one that he <laughs> shot. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, and he ran up to it, hit his knees and just stayed there for, I mean, we ended up leaving him because we didn't want to disturb him. You know, it was like a religious experience. He was just so in awe of this bird that he just needed to sit there and take it in. And, um, so we let him have his time and, and, you know, we kind of continued in the field, but, uh, yeah, just to be a part of memories like that with people, I, I think that it's, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't seek out those opportunities and if you don't try to take part in them, because, you know, I've, I've typically been a solo hunter. I have really enjoyed, I didn't hunt to connect with people. You know, I hunted to get away from people and to just spend time with my dogs. But this year has been so eye-opening to me to, to find out that, it's a lot of fun <laughs> to go out there with people, <laughs> you know, and to, to make those memories with them and to have those experiences and um, to build that community. Yeah. And, and community is, I feel like such an important word for it too, um, because it really does, as you grow that community, um, you know, across state lines and you know social media can be so helpful with that i mean i've hunted with individuals this year that i've never met before as well you know that i knew through social media and they're definitely going to be lifelong friends i you know have no doubt and some of the best hunts i've been on and you just and getting used to other people's styles in the field and different personalities and different bird dogs there's so much fun um when you get out there with somebody new you know, we, we talked a little bit before the show um, just about the Hunter Mentor Pledge that we're doing within the organization with our great partner, Alps Outdoors. And, um, you know, the purpose of it is for 
encouragement for mentors to take somebody new or lapsed into the field. Um, and you mentioned that you've, you know, taken the pledge. Obviously, you've gone above and beyond, um, you know, to take somebody new or somebody lapsed into the field um, to save the lifestyle. So, you know, what are some insights and tips that you can offer um, for others who are interested in looking to mentor someone new? Oh, the, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that I try to keep in mind um, when I'm mentoring some someone. And such a large part of it, like I mentioned, is just helping them build their community. So as someone who came from a family who doesn't hunt, um, it means a lot to me to be able to have people that, you know, when I harvest a deer or have a really good day out in the field, when I can send them a picture and know that they're going to be just as excited for me as, as I am. Um, so, you know, just not necessarily thinking about it like I used to, where it's just taking a new hunter out into the field and, um, but just being there and, you know, being the person that they can turn to for advice and being the person that, you know, they can rely on when they need some more information or just to give them encouragement to, to go out and, and try something. Um, I think that's a big part of it that often gets kind of overlooked. Um, and then additionally, just making them be a part of, of, your hunting experiences, not just in the field when you're harvesting an animal, but, you know, for tracking, for setting stands, for um, butchering, uh, for actually cooking that wild game, just making it about the lifestyle versus about that one single hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, do you find, um, have you done a lot of the kind of the harvesting cleaning process with individuals that are new uh, I know that that can be a barrier sometimes for people when they're first getting started. You know, what do you do after you harvest this bird or this deer? Um, you know, have you done much of that? I've tried to. Every chance I get where I can make it, uh, you know, like a full experience for them, I try to do that. If I'm able to to cook them some type of wild game, especially if it's the same type that we're pursuing, and just show them, you know, this is this is how I prepped it. Um, because I, yeah, I think that's something people overthink a lot is, is how do I cook wild game? And there's so many resources out there now that, you know, the, the information's out there, but just, it is just so helpful to have someone stand there and, you know, if you need advice real quick, just, just to give it to them. Um, one of my, one of the people I went out hunting with this year, uh, Robert Jones, he is big into upland hunting but had never shot a deer before. And so I just said, well, why don't you get a deer tag? I'll go out deer hunting with you. And uh, I truthfully, I didn't do anything. I just was there and offered maybe one or two pieces of advice. But other than that, he just needed someone to be there with him to, you know, help support him. He didn't need someone to hold his hand step by step, but he just, it just gave him that little bit of a confidence boost to be able to go out into the field and, you know, just, just do it. It does feel like <clears throat> for too long, we in the 
hunting slash conservation community have equated mentoring with the word guiding. And while guiding is a can be a component of mentoring, that isn't, they're not the same. They, they are two completely different um, aspects of the process. And what, what I hear you, Emily, talking a lot about is a lot of the interactions that you've had are, there's very little guiding associated with it. It's, you know, you talked about words like support and, and you know, along for the process and just validating some decision making, but you're not, for the most part, you're not guiding. You're, you're, um, that's different. So is that resonate with you? The, the difference between the two? Yeah, 100%. I, I try to, to make that clear to people when, because I get a lot of people who will reach out to me on social media and ask for advice. And the, usually the first line is I'm not a guide, I'm not an expert, yep. but here's what I know from my experience. Um, yeah, it's, it's not about taking someone out. I don't know. I don't, for me, I don't judge or I try not to judge the success of a mentored hunt by whether or not we actually harvest something, which I think is, is pretty typical. Um, but I just try as much as I can to make it a full experience to give, just to give them the tools to be able to then go and do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, and just to give them enough knowledge. So, you know, I'm not just out there talking about shot placement. It's the habitat. It's, um, you know, the timing of where to hunt certain areas. When they leave the field with me, I want them to be able to feel like they can go out and do this on their own. But if they get stuck, that they can call me or text me anytime. And that, you know, I will take time to make sure that they feel comfortable in, in what they're trying to do. So we've talked a lot about the wonderful experiences and the things have gone right. But invariably, there's there's the thing that happened that now you can look back upon and laugh. What what is what's the thing during this entire two year process for you where you're like, oh goodness, I'm never gonna do that again. Like where you think back and it's just like, ah, that I learned a whole lot about it, and I'm not gonna go that way again. Anything come to <laughs> mind? A couple of things come to mind. <laughs> oh, maybe not all of them that I'm willing to talk about. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, you know, there's never really been anything major that's just been a complete disaster or bad experience. There's been things that have happened um, that maybe next time, you know, I'll just try to set more realistic expectations or, um, you know, or now I've gained more knowledge to be able to approach things differently next time. But I am truthfully not sugarcoating it when I say that every experience I've had has been extremely positive. I mean, there's a lot of messages that I get where people are asking for advice and then, you know, I give them advice and then they, I don't really hear from them again, but 
there's been way more people who have reached out, asked for advice, and then followed up mm -hmm. with pictures that they're sending directly to me to say thank you mm -hmm. um, for helping them figure out what they're doing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never, not that I can think of anyway, maybe I've just suppressed those memories, but <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not really been anything major that's just been a complete disaster yet knock on wood. well and, and that's honestly i wasn't even going after like complete disasters you know because because that's the thing that you you very rarely hear of a mentoring situation that's just like ooh, that's not good but like i, I think i do relate it back what i was thinking about was when you do mentor somebody you look at the world through their eyes and you learn a lot um you know, but whether it's habitat, trying to answer questions that you're not used to. And, you know, I, when I've mentored folks, it's like, um, I, the, the first thing I tell myself nowadays is don't put so much pressure on myself. Like it, right. Because you've talked a little bit about how, um, you question whether or not you have enough um, knowledge base to do this, right? Everybody, doesn't matter if they grew up at four years old, started hunting, they are guiding in their professional life, right? When it comes to mentoring, everybody has that level of intimidation and questions themselves, or, you know, they in invariably question their dog, you know, or make excuses like, oh, you know, but yesterday you should have been here. My dog was great yesterday and now it's blowing up every bird, <laughs> right? So we've all, uh -huh. been, we've all all been in those situations. And I think in a really important part for me in the mentor process is to try to diffuse that right from the get-go. It's like the pressure that you put on yourself, just take it away. And you've done a beautiful job of talking about like for so many for the mentee, for the person that's going out, it is about the experience. It's about seeing birds. It's about sharing the camaraderie. It's really not about the tailgate shot. It never has been, it never will be, and it never should have been. And, and right. it's important to remind both sides of the mentor partnership about that. Yep, I definitely, as much as I try not to, I do put a lot of pressure on myself just because I want it to be a full experience. You know, I don't care if they only, if they, if they get to harvest one single bird, then it is like the weight of the world is off of my shoulders. I don't care how the rest of the day goes mm -hmm. as long as it's a positive experience, but um, it makes me think of uh, one of the sage grouse hunts that, that I helped with this year. Um, one of my buddies from back home in Michigan, you know, they were, they traveled from Michigan out to Montana to hunt sage grouse and they're all very capable bird hunters, but I was the only one who had experience hunting them before. And I had only done it one weekend the year before. So I didn't know very much at all. Um, so I tried to really set them up to understand that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You know, I don't know these birds very well. I've only pursued them one time. And that one time it took me three days before I saw my first bird. So I tried to set their expectations pretty low. Um, and then they came out 
And uh, the second group of birds that we we had seen some in the distance. And then uh, I hadn't seen, I was running my dog Riggins, my setter, and I hadn't seen him for a minute. And so, you know, there's a hill in front of us. And so I tried to, you know, I told him, hey, he's probably on point. I haven't seen him. So just be ready. And this was an hour into our first morning hunting, maybe an hour into our first morning hunt. And we walk up on this group of sage grouse and one of my buddies shot a really beautiful male. And, you know, he was just super stoked about it. And then he turns to me and they knew that I had put a lot of pressure on myself for this hunt. Um, he turns to me and he says, so you got any birds that are hard to hunt out here? <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty funny, but no, it's true. I mean, it's pretty unavoidable for me that I always put some pressure on myself. Um, but it's just because I want people to, mm. to have that full experience and, and, you know, to, have it be successful in every sense of the word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier, one of the people that reached out to you being um, a vegetarian who wanted to know where their food came from. And it, that really piqued my interest. I mean, we've, we've heard stories about that, read stories about it. And I'm curious um, if you took that person out hunting and what, what transpired on that particular hunt. So I have not had the opportunity to take her out hunting yet. She lives back in Michigan. That at this point in, in my journey with this whole mentoring thing, uh, that's been the, the hardest part for me is not being able to, to make every opportunity work. Mm -hmm. um, so I set her up with someone else from back home because I only, I spend a pretty limited amount of time back in Michigan, especially during hunting season, um, I want to be out here, you know? Uh, so I set her up with, with someone from back home who I trusted to take her out and have a good experience. And then I think when I go home for Christmas, there are two, two people from Michigan who reached out to me this year when I made that Facebook post. Um, one of them is a falconer who has never gun hunted before or had limited experience gun hunting, which I think is wild. I can't imagine going from not really hunting to hunting with a hawk and then <laughs> deciding you want to get into gun hunting. Right. Um, but she reached out to me and then uh, this girl who had previously been a, a vegetarian reached out to me. So I'm going to try to coordinate it so that we're all getting together to hunt. Um, but we'll see. It can be kind of chaotic sometimes trying to get schedules to line up. Uh, and that's something that I've had a hard time accepting is that I won't be able to personally take every person who reaches out to me out in the field. But at this point, I'm feeling a lot better about my network that I have and being able to rely on other people um, to kind of, you know, pass them off onto these people that I trust to be able to give them a good experience. Yeah, and, and what's I think, the go ahead, Marissa. <laughs> I was just gonna say, you know, the 
you're talking about community and that's just an excellent example of that, you know, knowing somebody else that you can connect that person to because you didn't have the opportunity to take her out right then and there. Um, and I think that that's really important to have that extended network, like you mentioned. And I was curious, what's the experience on your own personal bucket list that, that you're, you know, that you're going to chase in the next couple of years? What, what have you not hunted that Emily is really interested in learning about? I've got a pretty extensive list. I'm always, I'm always torn between uh, big game hunting and upland hunting. Um, right now in my life, I am a pretty committed upland hunter, but I just have so much interest in every facet of hunting that it's hard for me to, to pick one direction. Um, you know, I've never hunted quail before and I would really like to, to try quail hunting. Um, and I think that that's something that's, that's a pretty realistic bucket list item to check off maybe this year. Um, but yeah, I, and you know, and that's another thing that has resulted from this whole experience with mentoring people is I immediately typically will get, you know, the, these people who try to return the favor. Mm. Um, just yesterday, someone messaged me on Instagram and asked a very simple question about pheasant hunting. Um, he lives in, I think it was Pennsylvania. And I sent him back a pretty detailed response and just said, you know, if you ever come out West this way, just let me know and I can try and help you out and help you get on birds. And right away, I hadn't even clicked on the person's profile. And he was just like, if you ever want to come to Pennsylvania and hunt, you just let me know. We don't have a whole lot of wild birds here, but anytime, you know, you're more than welcome. And you know, that's what I've really found has been one of the most rewarding things is just finding so many good people, mm. not that, you know, that, that I'm able to help. And then they're able to, to feel like they're returning the favor for me. It's just, I don't know. I can't say enough good things <laughs> about it. Well, we've talked a lot about your social media, but I don't, we haven't, we haven't given people your social media handles out. Um, how can people connect with you? Cause you do, um, you have, first of all, just some wonderful photography, particularly on Instagram. And we'll, we'll ask you about your dogs in a moment, but uh, <laughs> if folks want to connect with you on Instagram and Twitter, which I think are the two most uh, active for you, how do, how do folks find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at EC Spoliar um, and then Twitter just under Emily Spoliar. Um, that's one thing that I have tried to, um, I think it's very important and it can't be, I, I think it's very important to portray yourself on social media in a way that's not, um, I hate to use the word offensive because I think that word gets overused a little bit, but in a, in a way that that's not, um, I don't know, that just kind of breaks down those misconceptions about hunting. Um, for me, a lot of it's about my dogs and most people that are people that I want to be around are dog people. 
or at least they're not, you know, anti-dog people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just an easy way to to connect with people who have never hunted before because if they like dogs, then I can't imagine a more fun experience than being out in the field with my little Bridger. You know, he's a little <laughs> 28 pound Cocker Spaniel to see him carrying a big rooster pheasant. You, you cannot hunt with Bridger without having a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. And I just think he, my dogs have given me such an easy way to connect with people. So for folks, um, just to clarify, Spoliar is spelled S-P-O-L-Y-A-R. So that's the key to finding Emily on, on her uh, Instagram and Twitter. And now I want I definitely was get circling to uh, you have an English setter named Riggins and a Cocker Spaniel named Bridger. So the first question is, those names are awesome. Where do they come from? <laughs> Well, Bridger, um, he is a, a Cocker Spaniel. I got him from a breeder in Georgia, Dirt Road Dog Company. Uh, his name came from Jim Bridger, mountain man. Um, and then Riggins, uh, he's the setter that I got from Kevin Jackson in Montana. Um, his name came from, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights. Sure. But Tim Riggins, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that's how he got his name. Uh, for Riggins, this is his first season. I got him last October, which is uh, the worst time to get a bird dog and the best time mm. to get a bird dog. <laughs> it was the worst time because I had this little tiny puppy that um, he just rode in the back of my bird vest for most of the season. <laughs> um, and you know, wasn't really pulling his weight on the team until, uh, until September came around, but, um, no, I, yeah, I, I hunt with, with both a, a pointer and a flusher. I don't hunt them together right now simply because I want Riggins to really build up his confidence and understand what his job is yeah. and, you know, what I expect of him. And also it's just nice to have a lot of dog power and to be able to, you know, hunt one dog one day, and then let him rest, hunt the other dog the next day. And on top of that, living out here, it's nice because I can hunt Riggins on sharp tail out in the grasslands where he can range out five, 600 yards or more if he wants to. And then I can take Bridger into some pheasant cover that's, you know, typically thicker cover. And, you know, that way I'm, I'm able to hunt both dogs in areas where they're most specialized for. Um, and I don't feel like you know, one's missing out or, or anything. It's just really nice to have that versatility. They can both cover each of those areas, but, um, there are definitely times where I'm very glad, you know, like if we're hunting cattails, Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily somewhere I want to hunt Riggins, but Bridger, he just weaves through those things. (laughs) You know, he's, he's pretty good. So, um, yeah, but, uh, this is, this is Riggins first season and, going pretty well so far. So as a person who grew up in, in Michigan back in, you know, where there's an awful lot of people and you start thinking about Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Wisconsin, that aspire to one day 
and it, then it becomes an annual trip, but aspire to go west, right? They want to go on a upland hunting trip to North Dakota or Montana, and you're lucky enough to live close enough to the border to hunt both. Um, and you've talked about sage grouse and sharpies and huns and pheasants. So talk to that audience of people back home. When would you tell those folks to circle the dates on the calendar? And what, what species would you tell them? You gotta come to Western North Dakota now. And this is why, and this is what you gotta chase. You know, I struggle with this question or a version of this question all the time. When I take someone out to pursue a new species of upland bird, I always find myself saying, this one's my favorite, you know, and I say that for every bird. <laughs> and so I don't know if that just makes me indecisive or a liar, I don't, but I truly just appreciate that individual bird so much um, that it is really hard for me to pick a favorite. Mm -hmm. um, one of the people that I interacted with on social media recently, and this is where it really um, puts things into perspective for me. You know, he lives over uh, it, on the East Coast and he said, it's on my bucket list to come out there and hunt birds. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so easy when you live somewhere like this to take that for granted. Yeah. You know, I can wake up tomorrow morning and go out and, and try and shoot a couple sharp tail or a couple pheasants and then come back and, and work a full eight hour day, you know, and that's no big deal. Um, and I already sometimes catch myself taking that for granted, even though I've only been out here for, uh, this, this is my third season. Um, but the idea that you could help someone check a bucket list item off of, off of their list, doing something that, that I can wake up and do every day. Mm. Um, that is just really important to remember that it's, you know, it's not people that are looking to set up camp on all your favorite spots. You know, it's someone that's making the trip, what they might consider the trip of a lifetime to come out here and hunt. And again, it just goes, kind of goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that it would be selfish of me to keep that to myself. Mm. At, at least that's how I look at it. But um, to that person that I recently interacted with, I suggested that they come out um, in early September They because they have a pointing dog. And I just told them that, you know, between sharp-tailed grouse and sage grouse and partridge, um, you can get a ton of bird exposure for your dog. You can hunt three incredible species um, in brand new terrain. Uh, at early season grouse hunting, while it can provide some challenges with the heat and everything, um, it's just so much fun, mm. especially if you've got a, a young dog or an inexperienced dog. It's it's a lot of fun. They play a little bit nicer than pheasants do sometimes. Yeah. So as, as we start to wrap up and you think about a bit of advice, you've said a number of times, which I think is really, really powerful that doing, becoming a mentor can change some, someone's life in a really positive way. And you've used some beautiful examples of that. 
so people that are listening and they're still hesitating to take the pledge. And I'll remind folks, Marissa mentioned, you go to the pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org website, um, go to the hunting tab and it's the very first um, navigation underneath the hunting tab is the uh, hunter mentor pledge um, being brought to you by our, our partners at Alps Outdoors. And it's super easy to do. And we, <laughs> there's incredible prizes for everybody that participates too. But Emily, for folks that um, are listening and like, for a large part, the season's starting to wind down. So they have a, a long time to think about what they, well, that's not true. They they could start mentoring during through dog training, right? What what bit of advice would you tell somebody as a final closing thought to get involved and become a mentor? I think it's, you know, we've talked about it a few times, just not overthinking it and and being willing to be a little more selfless and vulnerable and being willing to put yourself out there um, and just share the knowledge that you have. For me, it's it's been such a special experience to be able to share things that I'm so passionate about. If you've never shared something that you really love, um, I think you're you're really missing out because it just makes you love it that much more. Uh, so I would encourage you to to just be willing to put yourself out there and, and sacrifice a little bit of your personal time to help someone else in their journey. Um, I think that's the most important step. And if you really don't know where to start, you know, connect with someone who who has done it or connect with your local Pheasants Forever chapter or your local NAVDA chapter or your local one avenue that's that's I haven't tapped into yet, but it's a great route to go down is, you know, shooting sports have really taken off mm. across the country and all of those kids know how to use a shotgun. And so that is a huge barrier that's out of the way. And, you know, it's just, it's such an easy thing that they might not have someone who offers to take them out hunting, yeah. but if you can, you can be there and say, Hey, you know, if you ever want to go out hunting sometime, here's my number. Um, and not just do that, but then to also follow up with them and say, I'm going hunting on this day. Do you want to come or something along those lines that it's, it's not just a, you know, make it clear that it's not just a passive offer that you're throwing out there that it's, you know, that there's going to be action behind it and that you really mean it. Yeah. So one thing that has resonated with me throughout the conversation is as you talk about the people that you mentored, you introduce them into the conversation as my friend Jackson, my friend Hannah, yeah. um, which I think speaks volumes to the fact that they, these are not one and done interchanges. Like they, everybody that you've talked to is like, Oh yeah, Hannah, you know, like, like you have, you know, there, it maybe started as what we would define as a mentor, 
but it it doesn't last in that category very long before they become your bud. And they're giving you, uh, you know, a setter or you're sharing a meal with, or, right? I mean, every story that you shared, you know, you added a new, per, you know, Marissa termed it as a community, right? Yeah, you term it as friendships, uh, you know, and ultimately that's the thing about mentoring that, I think we think that we're doing it for the other person. It ends up being an awful lot of benefit for you and not in a selfish way, but I mean, you could see it as you were talking um, about a variety. Well, I think it was Emma, the, the girl from Michigan and the tears in your eyes and the emotion on your face and the joy of that first duck hunt and the fact that you don't even really love duck hunting, but when she texted <laughs> you to go on a duck hunt, like that's, that's one of the things you'll remember the rest of your life as I made a difference. And the same thing when you talked about Hannah and you talked about Jackson and this bond with the, with the dog and it's, yeah, we maybe you maybe started with a post where you were trying to give back and it, it ends up like changing all of our lives in such a positive way. I didn't mean to make you choked no. up. <laughs> I could see that that, that uh, there, there's some truth in that. Oh yeah, I it's it's one hundred percent true. Um, I have definitely gotten just as much, if not more, out of these experiences uh, that that the hunt, the other hunters have gotten out of it. And, you know, I, I do try to, um, I don't really just bring them into what I would consider my community yeah. and to let them know that they're wanted and that it's what they're doing is important and that they're capable and, um, just really try to give them that support. And then I, I also receive it in return. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's just been a, a really cool thing to be a part of. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of organizations and, um, a lot of our partners, especially with, you know, game and fish who try to host these, uh, like learn to hunt events and, and different things that are phenomenal events. Um, but, you know, we need to go beyond that. And, and take it upon ourselves to then take these people out into the field just on a regular hunt. It doesn't have to be anything structured or planned out very well um, <laughs> just to, to offer to take them out in the field. And, you know, I know here in North Dakota, we try to do that, um, especially our Ladybirds chapter out of Bismarck. Uh, they do a phenomenal job with wing shooting clinics and women's learn to hunt events and, you know, they provide these learning opportunities and then they follow it up with things like our rooster rally this weekend where it's literally just an invitation to come out and hunt. It's not something where I'm guiding or there's going to be planted birds. It's going to be, hey, let's meet at this parking lot at this time and then go out to the nearest piece of, piece of plots ground and see what happens. Yeah. You know, it's very informal. And I think that that's how people really start to feel more comfortable with branching out on their own and actually becoming an independent hunter. 
that's a great bit of advice. And for chapters out there listening, a mentor experience can be as simple as that. Picking a great big WMA, WPA, say I'm putting it out on social media. If you want to meet us there, we're, we're going to socially distant. We're going to go uh, take a walk in the four directions and we'll see what happens. From that. Well, right. And that's, you know, with everything going on in the world today, uh, this is something that we can still do mm-hmm. safely. And it's something that's important to do always, no matter what the year looks like. But especially this year, when you maybe have a little bit more free time to be able to to take on something like this. Um, yeah, it's something that, that we can do safely and that we have a responsibility to do. And that is just so rewarding. I mean, it's one of the best decisions that I've I've made. And like I said, I mean, I truly would not be sitting here today if someone hadn't taken that chance on me and, you know, gotten me into bird hunting. That's a wonderful, Marissa, this is, again, when you sent this email with this concept, um, you know, it, it, it's turned into everything I had hoped. Is it just a wonderful, wonderful conversation? Um, it, it, any closing thoughts before we wrap up, Marissa? No, it's just, I mean, I agree. It's such an incredible, you know, to hear you tell the stories and to see, you know, I, I'm just sorry that the listeners can't kind of see the passion and the emotion that we get to as we sit here and talk with you mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's so refreshing and it's so exciting to see that. Um, and, you know, I think we've talked about the different opportunities, you know, the Hunter Mentor Pledge and Women on the Wing and Learn to Hunt events. There are so many great opportunities out there for people to get involved in one capacity or another or all of them. Um, so don't be afraid to take the plunge. And uh, if you, yeah, follow Emily on Instagram or Twitter if you want some inspiration because it, it gets me excited to get other people outdoors. So thanks for doing that, Emily. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Um, I appreciate being able to share the the stories that I've gotten to experience. Um, I just wish that, you know, like you said, Marissa, I wish you guys could have been there to, to see it. And um, I hope that everyone listening is able to at some point have their own experiences with it because it's one of the most rewarding things that you'll get to take part in. Well said. All right, folks, take the pledge, the hunter mentor pledge, pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org underneath the hunting tab on the website brought to you by Alps Outdoors. Um, Emily Spoliar, thank you so much for sharing your stories. And Marissa Jensen, once again, thanks for for joining me for this episode of On The Wing Podcast. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Um, Hopefully you got plenty of season left in your upland bird escapades for 2020. Get out there, practice responsible recreation, get outdoors behind a bird dog and uh, take somebody new with you. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise.
Thanks for listening, folks.